Hello and welcome back to Say It Again, the Soda 2 podcast, where we think back about the day we might repeat ourselves and we get ready for tomorrow. Today is September the 26th, 2019, and this is episode 15. Here's a poem for today by Chris Harris called Grown Ups Are Better, Part Two. Why are grown ups better than kids? Because we got what it takes. We never, ever, 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 ever make mistakes. It was supposed to be a busy day in reading class, but we wound up having science fly right into our room. Of course, because we have a block schedule and because I teach reading and science and Mrs. Schmuck teaches social studies and writing, during block one or block two on any given day, we might do part of one subject and part of another. We might do both subjects integrated and rolled into one. And sometimes we switch it up day by day. So today was a reading day. We're getting ready for a philosophy circle. More on that in a few minutes. But we took time this morning to enjoy the beautiful fall weather. It's cool and the sky was blue, and we were outside at about 8.30 when the shadow of the Lincoln Building cuts the playground in half, and the dew still sparkles on our fake grass. And as we went outside, mm, several of the students discovered right away that there were large dragonflies, two to three inches long, with iridescent wings uh, and these bright green bodies uh, several places on the playground. And so the insects were, of course, picked up and examined and photographed. You can see some of the photographs on our Instagram feed at SOTA2, that's S-O-T-A-T-W-O, if you're wondering. And of course, students began to experiment as they are wont to do. So we had an impromptu science class to discover whether sunlight or shadow would change the dragonfly's behavior. And as you might expect, dragonflies that are cold and a little bit damp stay still and wait for the sun. But when students carefully carried those dragonflies over to the sunny part of the playground. The dragonflies warmed up and dried out and eventually flew away. Inadvertently, two of them also flew into our classroom, causing quite a commotion. It uh, took us a few minutes to get everyone to take their seats, and we did have a good short conversation about how insects can be very sensitive to sound and to movement, especially dragonflies who have those marvelous compound eyes. Many individual eyes compounded together, many individual lenses put together to form a compound view of the world. And we asked the question, though none of us knew, 
It was one of those lovely moments in science class where I got to admit that I didn't know something and I was going to have to do some research. And so, as promised in class today, here is the answer to the dragonfly question. We asked the question, are dragonflies migratory? And in this case, the answer is yes. I have posted a link in Google Classroom Science to a wonderful Washington Post article from 2018 highlighting the fall and spring migration of the green darner dragonfly 900 miles from southern Canada to the Gulf of Mexico. It's a fascinating article. Please, I would encourage you to take a look at it, do some further reading. It details not just how far the dragonflies go and how many generations it takes them, but also the very creative science, the innovation in scientific research by entomologists that finally made it possible to track the dragonflies. You see, dragonflies are rather small, and so it's hard to attach a radio or a GPS locator beacon or really anything else to them. Um, they're lightweight, so they're aerodynamic. You don't want to add anything to that. And even when scientists tried, they were only able to get about 80 miles before they lost the signal. And so the answer to tracking dragonflies actually has to do with where they're born. I think this was so interesting. We had a brief conversation in, uh, in reading class, uh, part science, this morning uh, regarding different types of hydrogen. We would call those types isotopes, which refers to how many neutrons the molecule, or excuse me, the, the atom of hydrogen has in its nucleus. And because of our history of atomic testing and atomic power and atomic bombs and radiation in this country, um, there are different isotopes of hydrogen in different parts of the continental United States. I learned this in the article, and I was fascinated to know that in the southern United States, particularly in ponds and lakes in the south, there is a particular type of hydrogen, an isotope that collects that you do not find in northern lakes. And this is essential to the dragonfly migration question because it allowed scientists to examine the atoms of hydrogen in the wings of different dragonflies and to determine which hydrogen isotopes had been used to build their wings. The hydrogen that was present in the water where the baby dragonflies, the larval dragonflies, were first born and developed, right? That water gets incorporated into their wings and the hydrogen in the water tells us where they came from. So scientists used this to build a map and they discovered that in the spring, dragonflies, green darner dragonflies in southern United States, right? Uh, near the Gulf of Mexico, are born, develop, and begin migrating north. And they fly for about 400 miles. They land, they lay their own eggs, and die. 
and those eggs hatch and those dragonflies fly the rest of the way and then part of the return trip moving with the weather they again lay their eggs and die and the third generation makes its way south and remains in the south for the winter months for the colder months where they again lay their eggs and die and the cycle begins all over again so it was just by happenstance that the wind blew us some green darner dragonflies this morning we discovered on the playground and we had a chance to discover that dragonflies do in fact migrate and that was just the first 15 minutes of reading class <laughs> what we were actually planning to do today was to engage in some close reading of an article a current events article which certainly has some scientific tie-ins and will allow us to get ready for our first philosophy circle of the year uh, we'll be having that philosophy circle tomorrow and that looks like sounds like feels like half of our class sitting in a circle we use a lot of the same strategies that we use during our CPR time, our circle of power and respect. Uh, students present a point or a question and other students will raise their hand and it is up to the speaker to call on his or her peers. This allows the adults in the room to really step back and get out of the way. That is, I think, an underappreciated and essential part of education. Sometimes the teacher or the grown-up in the room just needs to get out of the way and allow the students to do the discussing, especially if you've taken the time to build up a classroom community based on respect and empowerment. And we really enjoy philosophy circles because the students do such a good job encouraging each other, questioning each other, and teaching each other about the topic. So the topic for our philosophy circle tomorrow is vaping. It has been in the news lately. Uh, so far, 11 people have died very tragically from inhaling uh, vape uh, or vapor from cartridges that were not FDA approved. This is a public health hazard and something that has real immediate bearing on our students' lives. It is so common that our middle schoolers are offered or introduced to different chemical substances around this age, and they need to know the health risks so that they can make smart, safe decisions for themselves and encourage each other, right? Peer pressure, but positive peer pressure. Encourage each other to make smart, safe decisions. So we took time to prepare for that philosophy discussion that will take place tomorrow. And to prepare, we looked at a current events article on the topic of vaping and those tragic deaths that have occurred recently. And of course, it's not always easy to get students to read an article, especially a science article. And so the answer is not less reading, it's more reading. And that is what the close reading strategy is about. And the students know this. You've all heard me say it over and over. But because it's a podcast where I repeat myself, I'll explain it just one more time. 
the first time we read the article is very quick, only about two minutes. And your job the first time through is to pick out three words that you have to understand to get the article. If you don't know what those three words mean, the article just won't make sense to you. And of course, we can follow that up by looking up those, uh, those key vocabulary words or by quizzing a peer and getting the definition. But once we have those words in mind, we're ready for the second read through. And I often find that students are just a little bit miffed at the end of the first read. Two minutes just wasn't enough. That's a pretty good sign. We can build on that and, and encourage people because they want to know more. The second reading is for key points and main ideas. So sometimes we structure that by saying, okay, read the first paragraph and the last paragraph only. Uh, or sometimes we read just the topic sentence of each paragraph. And on the third reading, finally, we encourage students to read at their own pace, to read every word, to really dig into the article and to understand it. And of course, this kind of reading takes a little bit longer, but it increases engagement, it increases understanding, it creates sticky learning, right? Knowledge that you can't forget. And with a topic like vaping, I think we want that. I think we want knowledge that will help us make decisions in difficult situations. We want that learning to stick with us. So we use the close reading strategy. We finished up the morning with a CPR discussion, a circle of power and respect discussion about photographs and sharing photographs. And we kept it very simple. We said that any photograph you take at school needs to stay at school, right? Of course, student cell phones need to stay in their lockers, but because we took our iPads on the field trip yesterday, there were lots of portraits and action shots taken and lots of enthusiasm about sharing those with each other, which is just fine at school but no one should ever take a picture at school or on a field trip and put it out on their own social media. Mrs. Schmuck and I work very hard on our Facebook page and our Instagram page and on our public persona as a school. And we're excited to engage students in that process. Again, check out our Instagram feed. We feature student artists and students as they learn and engage lots to see and discover there. That's all I have for today. It was a busy day, so remember to ask lots of questions, get a good night's sleep, and we'll see you tomorrow. This episode of Say It Again has been brought to you in part by the International Association of Physicists who want to remind you that when you're feeling down, just think like a proton. Stay positive.